Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, June 27th, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. Almost two years ago, the Academy left its home in an Upper East Side mansion and moved to a skyscraper downtown. But this wasn't just any skyscraper. Our offices are in the new Seven World Trade Center building, and this was the first commercial office building in New York City to receive the U.S. Green Building Council's Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, or LEED, certification. Since then, green office buildings have become the construction standard in New York, and expectations are only getting higher. Meet One Bryant Park, a new green building that's even greener than Seven World Trade Center. And after nearly five years of construction, the final tenants will be moving in later this year. I took a tour of this ultra-sustainable high-rise building last week, and I talked to its lead architect and mechanical engineer about some of its coolest features and smartest ideas. So this week, put on your hard hat and your steel-toed boots. You're getting an insider's tour to the greenest building in Manhattan. This is the Bank of America Tower on 42nd Street and 6th Avenue. It's a 2 million square foot building on a one acre site. My name is Tobias Holler from Cook Plus Fox Architects and we are going to do a construction tour of One Bryan Park. Architecturally the way the building was designed is that the, the base is a very contextual base so there's a lot of architectural elements like, like this uh, facade here that kind of relate back to the adjacent building, four times square. The sidewalk really widens along the corner, and we're also building a brand new subway pavilion. My name is Bob Fox. I'm a partner at Cook Plus Fox Architects, and most of our work is in New York City, and all of our work is involved with doing green buildings. When Bryan Park started for us in 2003, at the earliest stages of the project when we were hired by the bank, uh, Bank of America and the Durst family to be the architects for the building. It starts to you know, become more sculptural, it starts to become part of a different context, the context of the skyline. So from the 18th floor and higher the, you know, the facades start folding in and what, what that does, it, it lets in light to the streets. Some of the greenest buildings in our country were done by Frank Lloyd Wright who really understood where the sun was, understood that buildings in different parts of the country used different materials. In his own studio, which was in Wisconsin in the summer and um, the Arizona desert in the winter, they're two dramatically different structures, but both of them very responsive to their own climate. So good architects have been doing good green buildings for a long time. What we were concerned with the lobby design is that what happens when you approach a skyscraper? How do you, how do you break down the scale from a huge you know, vertical glass mass uh, to the human scale? In the beginning, the client mattered a lot. Certainly in the 80s, we did not say to a client, we're going to do a better building. We just did it. And we didn't do anything stupid. We didn't do things that cost dramatically more money, but we just made good buildings. When it came time to work with the Durst in 1995, they were all for it. So we were kind of pushing each other. Now, when a client comes in to us, a potential client comes in, we say, do you want to do a green building? And they, and they, they say one of two things. Yes, that's why I'm here, 
That's why most of them come. Or, I don't know, tell me about it. And then we tell them about it. And if they don't say, yes, we want to do a green building, then we say, we don't think that we'd be a good fit. Let's just, um, let's just walk in. I grew up on a farm 100 miles north of New York City and before TV, and it was terrific. People have said to me over the years, well, what did you do? Well, you find that you read a lot, and during, during any kind of daylight hours, you spend time outside. So being able to be in the forest or be on the perimeter of a pond and, and just spending time looking at being part of nature, this is, this is terrific. So that sort of stayed with me, maybe in my subconscious. I came to New York over 40 years ago to work here, and, and I've been working on high-rise buildings pretty much ever since. And when I had a chance to start my own firm in 77 and then uh, in 78 start a firm called Fox and Fowl Architects with Bruce Fowl, our early buildings were green in some ways. We didn't call it green. That was not part of the vocabulary. But we were focused on saving energy and on providing great daylight into our buildings and views for the people on the inside of the building. And little by little, we got better at it. And then when Four Times Square came along in 1995, we had a chance to really focus on all these issues with a client who really cared, and that was the Durst family. We're standing in the one Bryan Park lobby. One of the main you know, design moves was to really open up this space towards the outside and address its prominent relationship with the park. And the way we did this is you know, we have this big bamboo canopy, this big bamboo ceiling that turns into a canopy, have a very, very transparent wall at the corner. This is a, a cable-stayed wall, so it doesn't have actual mullions. It's held by um, you know, tensioned cables. Uh, I'm Scott Frank. I'm a partner with Jaros, Baum and & Bowles, and I served as the partner in charge for our effort on One Bryant Park. I am a mechanical engineer, and my firm really consists of a mechanical and electrical engineers. So our involvement in a project like this is to, in essence, design the organs of buildings, all of the mechanical and electrical systems that go into modern contemporary buildings. All of what we do, it's the application of science to you know, solve real-world problems. So it's a lot of, in the science of thermodynamics, heat transfer, the, and fluid dynamics. So there's a lot of underlying science that's a part of the systems and the products that are utilized in these buildings and that are continually evolving and, and growing in capability and so forth. Early in my career, I became very interested in energy efficiency. So this is going back 15 or almost 20 years. And again, or in that sense, became very involved in improving our capabilities and our practice in terms of making buildings more energy efficient. And then five or seven years ago, when the broader green building kind of movement came along, of which energy is a big part, it was really just kind of a natural extension for me to kind of just broaden my focus to encompass all aspects of buildings and how they impact the environment, not just energy. These are the, um, the construction hoists. There's four personnel hoists and two material hoists, and they're, they're still you know, serving the, the top of the, the building. So they're outside elevators? Right now, they're, they're temporary outside construction elevators, yeah. And it's actually a crazy ride. You, when you're in, in one of those, you don't want to. You don't want to remind yourself how it looks from the outside. Okay, 
just boarded the construction hoist that goes up on the north side, on the outside of the facade. It goes all the way up to the roof of the building, which is the 52nd floor. So where are we right now? Right now we're standing on the hoist platform, pretty much in the middle of the air, outside of the building. Because the facade tilts back as you go higher, because the hoist platform is straight up, we're going to have to walk a, a tiny little bridge to actually enter the building. So you have this um, unique opportunity to look at the building from the outside. This is called the screen wall. So if you think about the building, this is the building roof. And the curtain wall is rising above the roof to create this iconic top, the shape. What it does, it, it hides all the mechanical equipment, it hides the window washing equipment. So this is, this is going to be open. There's not gonna this is going to be open, yeah. And so this is where the rainwater will come down and hit on this roof here. Yes. Water it was a major emphasis on the project, and, and of course water is a major global issue environmentally, as everyone knows. And New York City has unique conditions in that the city itself receives its water from a limited resource in the form of a series of reservoirs that are located in upstate New York, and that water travels down through a limited number of aqueducts and pathways, and there are lots of challenges around that system in that none of those pathways can be serviced or have ever been maintained, and they're known to leak because the demand of the city in terms of water consumption is such that you can't really shut any of those any of that infrastructure down. So God forbid if something were to happen. At One Bryant Park, we're collecting all the water, the rainwater, the water from the sinks, the water from the steam condensate. When you take the thermal value out of steam, it turns into water. And when you air condition, you take humidity out of the air. So you're going to take all of that water, the groundwater that would accumulate in a cellar, because it's the lowest cellar for many, many blocks. And so we have 5,000 gallons a day. Other buildings pump it into the sewer system. That's what they do in New York. So we're putting all of that water in a big tank, in a series of tanks in the building, but essentially one big tank in the cellar, and we're using it to flush the toilets. None of that is brand new, but it's sort of taking all of that water that we take for granted, and, and we're using it. We're using it to flush the toilets. We're using it for cooling tower makeup. You notice all the duct segments that are lying around on the construction side have are covered with plastic on both sides. It seems like an obvious thing to do, but it's actually not. It's a green building requirement, and it's usually not done on construction sites. So each duct element is covered in plastic so that it doesn't get dirty during construction. Just before it's installed, these are removed so that when you start the air conditioning, you don't have to get all this dirt out. I think the part of the building that will have the most lasting value will be the fact that we've created a, a terrific work environment for the people in the bank. The air is delivered under the floor. Everybody gets their own diffuser in the floor. They can adjust it one way or the other to put, have more air or less air come out of this diffuser. Nine-foot-six ceilings, which are really high for New York City, floor-to-ceiling glass, really well-filtered air. 95% particulate filter, as most office buildings are 35%. So the work environment that we've created at the direction of Ken Lewis, who's the chairman of the bank, this is second to none. Okay, we're on the 50th floor of the building, which is the second highest occupiable floor. And we're standing at the curtain wall looking out over the amazing view of Manhattan. What you can see here is this is the, you know, the floor-to-ceiling curtain wall 
It's a very clear glass. It's uh, what's called low iron glass, so it's not as green as, as glass typically is. It lets in a lot of light. It has a, a low E coating, which is a coating on the glass that you know, blocks out part of the infrared rays that are responsible for heat gain. And then what you see are those, those tiny white dots that are printed on the glass. They start very dense at the bottom, and then they slowly become smaller and smaller, and then they fade out, and then there is a kind of a clear vision area. And then as you look up to the top, they start again, and they become dense again. This is a, it's called a ceramic frit. It's printed on the glass, and it acts as a shading device. And it's very subtle, you know, visually, but it has a tremendous shading effect. Another not-so-desirable characteristic of office buildings in general, this applies anywhere in the part of the country where there's a summer cooling season, is that office buildings, as we know, are really occupied during the daytime hours. Typically, the peak electrical demand for an office building is somewhere in the middle of the afternoon. So we all know that whenever there's a blackout or a brownout, when does it happen? In the middle of the afternoon, right, in the summer, on a summer day. But on the rest of the hours, on weekends and at night, these buildings use very little electricity. And so the problem with that is the electrical grid and the infrastructure has to have this tremendous capacity available for just a few hours of operation during these peak periods in the summer. A fundamental strategy of lessening that syndrome is to even out the consumption of electricity. So anything you can do, especially in an office building, to shift electrical consumption from those daytime hours to off-peak nighttime hours is an advantage because it takes demand off of that peak period. Ice storage or thermal storage, more generally, is, again, not a brand-new approach. It is a series of giant ice cubes. In the basement of the building, there are dozens and dozens of these cylindrical stainless steel tanks that are about as tall as you or I that sit in a long row, and they just kind of an antifreeze solution that circulates through them and just freeze them into a block of ice at night. And then that solution is circulated through the, during the daytime to melt the ice and to cool the chilled water that's circulated. Wow, look at that view. Yeah, that's the view. I mean, that's really one of the amazing things about this location is that you're one of the last buildings in Midtown if you're going south. So really, you know, Manhattan becomes lower and the only thing that's right in your view is the Empire State Building. And then, of course, you know, downtown all the way at the end of the island. Everything that we did, all the extra costs to go to the, the highest level of filtration, to go to the most you know, energy-efficient power generation, it all has a payback time of less than five years. So there isn't any you know, crazy whiz-bang technology that we're using that's not properly established. It's just doing the right thing everywhere. Our client is a, you know, is a developer and a bank, so they really you know, need to know that it makes sense. One Bryant Park will be lead platinum, and it, it will create a new standard in how these buildings get done. And that's always exciting. LEED, with the leadership of the U.S. Green Building Council, has totally transformed the market. If you talk to one of the really good, well-known builders in New York City, they know what it is, and they are now doing green buildings. It isn't just the Durst family, although they were the leaders, they're all doing it. Why are they doing it? Because New York is a very competitive place. And if somebody over here has a big green building, then the next builder is going to build a green building and so on. There's a significant percentage of the lead points that have to do with how the building gets built. 
they're really the responsibility of the builder, not the architect or the mechanical engineer or the structural engineer. So in order to be a greener builder, the contractors and subcontractors have to understand these things. Like, where do materials come from? Do you want to buy something that's 3,000 miles away and you're going to create a lot of CO2 in the environment just getting it 3,000 miles to the building site, or would you look a little more carefully at something closer to home? There was no way to quantify the level of greenness. So the U.S. Green Building Council came up with this tool, very simple. It's a Chinese menu, and there are 69 different menu items, and a project team can just kind of go down through this list and just kind of check off the ones that they think make sense for their project, that a little bit easier for them to pursue, that they want to expend, that they can afford. And then you just tally up the score at the end, and there's this three kind of levels of achievement of certified silver, gold, and platinum. And the value that has had is just, it's really hard to to even appreciate because now the commercial real estate industry, which deals everything else about their industry, is, is quantified. They know cost, they know schedule, they know how many square feet and how long it's going to take and who's going to move in and who's going to... And now you've taken this amorphous thing about, yeah, let's make our buildings a little more environmentally sensitive, and now they can quantify and bring certainty to this approach. So LEED has really been the key, I think, to this rapid transformation and the interest overall in green buildings because it made it easy to do. The Bloomberg administration, and it's more recent in the last, I guess, year or two, become very focused on this issue, I think especially in the context of the the greater awareness of climate change, and published a very ambitious plan last year called Plan YC, which is a broad set of initiatives addressing kind of all aspects of environmental impacts, particular to large city, from transportation, solid waste removal and management, to energy, water, and so forth. The city, in that sense, is now very supportive. Two years ago, they passed a very ambitious bill that requires all city-funded construction projects to meet some very ambitious environmental standards, uh, lead silver rating, and also specific reductions in or improvements in energy efficiency. And that's not unique. I mean, there are many cities and municipalities throughout the country that have been very ambitious and very aggressive in the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest, probably you know the most, but New York, absolutely. It's always exciting when you are allowed to work really hard. We, have, we had a terrific team on this project, the Jarris Bowman Bowles, the engineers for uh, Seven World Trade Center, Severed Associates Structural Engineers. I mean, these guys really, really worked hard uh, to make this a terrific building. So it's a, it's a tremendous feeling. Of, you get a great feeling of satisfaction. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear what you thought of this week's podcast and other Science in the City podcasts. Email your feedback to scienceandthecity at nyas.org. Leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654. Or send your comments snail mail care of Science in the City, 7 World Trade Center, 250 Greenwich Street, 40th Floor, New York, New York, 10007. For more information on science and culture in New York City, log on to scienceandthecity.org. See you next week.